0: All right, um, you know, that, that song that finished is so appropriate. Jesus was challenged with, um, how can we know that your words are true? How can we know that what you say you're going to do? And Jesus' response to that challenge was, when you destroy this body, this temple he used as the metaphor, it, in three days it will raise back up. And so Jesus had um, a... a um, A credibility or he had a promise that said, you will know that my words are true when I rise again. And so that was the thing that that undergirded all that Jesus said, all that he did, the miracles and everything all hinged on his word being true because he would rise from the dead. If he didn't come back from the grave, then everything he did was empty and useless. And the world is groaning for someone they can trust. We're in a political season, and Lord help us, it's still about a year out. And we're reminded over and over again why the American people's confidence is so low in, um, their political candidates and their, their congressmen and all this kind of stuff is because we're so used to being told what we, th- what they think we want to hear and then not coming through. Now, I'm not trying to be a bandwagon person. I think the lazy way out is to say they're all a bunch of crooks, so we're not going to do any of it. You know, I think that's kind of the wimpy way out, but it's true that a majority of them have an angle. It's true that a majority of them have something they want us to believe in them that they may or may not have any intention of backing up themselves. And we as a people become used to it. And there's perhaps nothing more devastating than encountering someone who is phony after thinking maybe this person isn't going to let us down. We know there's all kinds of ugly things that go on in the world. There's illnesses that we deal with. There's wars that go on. There's hurricanes coming and all this kind of stuff. But something cuts through us so deeply when someone we looked up to, respected, or counted on fails us somehow. Isn't the shining example that they claim to be or position themselves to be on the outside? I I took the stool out here because I... um, I really wanted you to be convinced that this is the right kind of furniture for you. This is, everybody needs one of these. Everybody needs one of these in their house. They're, they're sturdy. They're practical. They're lightweight. You saw us just tossing it, you know, around back and forth. It's so practical and so handy. And if you, if you just hear me go on and on and on about this stool and I just kind of sit here and I look at it from a distance and I'm telling you why it's so good and why it's so dependable, the, the natural growing sort of, um, Uh, uh, skepticism in your in your mind would start be well why isn't he sitting in it he keeps talking about how good it is but he himself is not placing his own weight uh, of which there's more and more over the last couple of months but there's no he's not putting his weight in this to be able to say to others um, you know not only is it good for you, but it's good for me as well. And so we encounter a couple of different types of people so often. And one is the guy that, who, who has no intention of sitting in this himself, but he wants you to sit in it. Why? Because he can close the deal and make a few bucks. One of my favorite movies is, um, is uh, well, I can't recommend it because you're not supposed to in my position. It, and you're not supposed to call it a movie. If you come from a kind of a, you know, a real traditional church background, it's a film. Somehow it's more godly if you see films than movies. But anyway, so one of my favorite movies that I'm not recommending is Oh, Brother, Where Art Thou? And and uh, can I get an amen? And uh, John Goodman's character in that movie, he is and the movie is set in the Depression. And John Goodman's character in the movie, it's a bit part comes and goes, but it's brilliant. He's a Bible salesman during the Depression. And it's very clear from his attitude and the words that he says that he believes nothing in that book, but he knows a lot of people do. And they say, so what do you sell? He goes, the truth, brothers, every blessed word of it, all the way from Genesee to Revelations. And he says, and there's a lot of money to be made in these days of woe and want in this book. And so he's revealing that he's he's like a guy who would say, you need to be able to sit in this, you need to enjoy this, this is perfect for you. And the whole time, everyone would be saying, well, how much do you trust in it? Well, that's not about me, it's about you, the customer. It's all I care about. There are those people that we encounter in the kingdom of God. And unfortunately, it happens all too often where somebody has set out with the intention of, I can make a profit here, I can be a profit here. See what I just did there? Um, or I can gain notoriety. I can gain influence or something. And so the the word of God becomes a tool or the or the the naivete of believers becomes an advantage point. And then uh, so that person's out there to intentionally deceive. But I don't I don't think we run into that person all the time. I think most of where we get tripped up. It's because we're the type of person or we're we're we are the kingdom of God these days where we'll say everybody needs this stool. I believe in this. I think it'll hold us all up. It's good for everybody. Every home should have one of these. And then on occasion, we'll sit on it sort of like half weight, half lean kind of thing, and we'll have one foot on the ground because we don't fully trust. And every once in a while on a good day or after a great song, you'll see us put both our feet up and we'll kind of be like, "Ooh, this is great, you know, I'm really enjoying this and everything. But for the most part, how we live our lives, practically speaking, probably the the Monday through Saturday kind of thing, is with a foot on the ground because we're not really sure we can trust the stability of this stool all the time. What ends up uh, happening to the, the, um, the influence or the impact of the Church of Jesus Christ is that the more we're going around talking about how everybody needs one of these in their homes, you can trust it, it's so reliable. Hopefully you're picking up on my metaphor here. And then as people go to your home or they see your life, they see, how come that guy never sits on that stool? He keeps talking about how great it is, but even when he does, he sort of seems a little timid, a little shaky, a little nervous about it. It's not really influencing everything he does. He's not putting all of his trust in it. And and if I'm speaking from experience, I think that's where most of us live. I think most of us live, it's just a little more comfortable to have one foot on the ground to kind of know I can be me when I want to be me. And I don't have to fully commit to this whole God thing or what the Bible is telling me to be true. It's like I can try it. I can dabble in it. But, man, when somebody else comes along and says, how is that working out for you? Oh, it's the greatest thing in the world. And we turn into that salesman who says, you've got to put all your weight on this thing. It's awesome. It'll look great in your house. Their natural skepticism will start to say, well, how come you're not putting all your trust in it? King David in the scriptures is a great example for us in a lot of different ways because he is admirable. He's someone to look up to for most of his life. King David was one who was handpicked by God to be the leader of God's people. And it wasn't for any of the reasons that we would normally think. It, was, it wasn't because of his good looks or it wasn't because of his strength or it wasn't because of all those things. God saw a heart that um that was present in King David that he knew he could use that would be faithful and loyal to him and so David gives us a good example to look up to because he spent most of his life doing those things um uh, passionately for God and being that example and 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 all through the Psalms which is the book that he predominantly wrote um you see him just leaning, someone who leans and trusts in God. He's putting all his weight on that stool and he's saying, he is one that you can trust. He'll protect you. He'll be, he'll be your safety. He'll be your strength. And David's, David's point was, I've got all these armies. I've got all this kingdom. I've got all this might, but I don't trust in any of those like some of the failed kings do. I trust in the name of the Lord our God and he proved it by putting his getting his feet off the ground and and just putting his weight in that stool but then david had to put it mildly a hiccup in life and he took his eyes off of the strength and the stability of god's god's word and his truth and he started putting his foot on the ground and he started leaning off the stool just a little bit more and he started getting a little bit more comfortable in in being the the the, the great king the powerful the powerful human figure in his kingdom and then, of course, we know that he fell hard and he, he fell in the mud. He, he, uh, he destroyed his reputation for a time because of the fact that he was not leaning wholeheartedly on the Lord. And in one of David's Psalms, in Psalm chapter 15, he concludes the chapter with a great um, uh, promise that uh, sounds pretty risky to say. He says, he who does these things, we'll talk about what these things are will never be shaken. So coming from King David, who had the life that he had and had the experiences that he had, the failures that he had, he knew what he was talking about. He says, I've been stable and I've been shaky. And if you do the things, which the rest of um, Psalm 15 will teach us, if you do the things that that God's commanded you, the things that I'm going to lay out for you, he says, you won't be shaky. You won't be one of these people with one foot on kind of acting nervously about whether or not you can trust. This piece of furniture. So David is saying you can put your weight into this and you won't be shaky. It sounds almost like a list too good to be true. And so he begins, as as I I think a good preacher would, is getting our attention in the thing that matters most. And, And I don't know if we think about this all the time, but in Psalm 15, verse 1, he says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent and who may dwell on your holy hill? Before he gets into the list of the things you do, he appeals to the fact that this is what we're all struggling with. We we may not acknowledge it. We may not notice it. But as you're going throughout your week this week, think about how many of your actions are um, guided or affected by the thing I'm about to say. We all want to know if we really are accepted by God. Some of us have been... Teaching, learning, studying the scriptures for years. And we know the truth of this book says you can trust in God. If you've humbled your heart and you've come to him and say, "Lord, I'm a, I'm a, a filthy sinner. I'm unable to save myself. Please come and, and save me and rescue my life. We know the truth of the scripture says anybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So we know the truth of that. But it sometimes so often seems like this distant experience to where if we said, like David saying, God's in that tent. And you get to open up the the doors of that tent and go in his presence and and sit at his feet. Even those of us that have been singing the songs forever and have experienced the, the washing of our sins away from the blood of Jesus, we'd all go, I can't go in there. I know who I am. It's so difficult for us to even apply the the song that we were singing earlier about how good the Father is and and how much we need him because we think he is so good and so pure and so perfect. And I know who I am. I just saw my actions three minutes ago before before they told me I could go into the tent. I'm not going to be accepted by him. And it holds us back. We don't enter into the presence of God. We don't trust that it's all his grace and his mercy that cleanses us and makes us us pure before him. So David's saying, who in the world could just walk in and stay? Who's that person? Who could do that? And so for so many of us, that feels like an impossibility. So he says there is somebody who can do that. Verse 2, he says, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness and speaks truth in his heart so let's play with the order of this a little bit there's one phrase in there that i want to camp out on for the next few minutes that we have but in order to get there i just want to look at the fact that he's saying this is a person who works righteousness and really all that phrase means is he does the right things for the right reason there's so many people doing the right things For a different reason, for a selfish motivation or for a a glory seeking or a fame seeking kind of motivation. And he says this is a person who does the right things, the good things for God's kingdom and for others for the right reason. But he also says this is somebody who speaks truth in his heart. And, and to demonstrate that, I guess I would say I've, I've shared with you before my, my mechanical foibles and my weaknesses in this area, right? Like I can do a couple of things with a car, and that's about as far as it goes. And so often, um, you know, I've, I've gone out of the house. My wife could see me going out of the house to go into the garage or the driveway to work on a car, and I have all this determination on my face because I've stressed out about it for about three months. And I'm like, okay, I'm finally ready to be a man. Got to go try this. And I go out, and like three minutes later, I'm covered in grease and all this kind of stuff, and my hair's going in different directions, and I walk in, and I just sit on the couch, and she's like, what didn't work? What, what went wrong? Couldn't get the first bolt off. You know, like I've spent days and weeks watching YouTube videos or looking up things, and I'm like, I think I can do this. And I'm trying to not be that guy who, you know, can't do it and stuff. And then you go out, and the very first thing you try just doesn't work. But, you know, if somebody as messed up as me, if you came to me and said, this is the make and the model and the year of my car, I need to know how to fix it. You know, in a couple of days, I could tell you how to fix it. Do you believe me? Well, if you don't, then you haven't looked up car manuals. You haven't seen YouTube. You haven't. I can learn the information that I can just spelt back to you. But it doesn't matter if you know who's telling you, does it? If I say to you, no, it's easy, you just take those four bolts off, the thing comes off, you just change this, plug this in there and everything, you'd say, well, sounds pretty simple, but let let me tell you, when I went under there and looked, there was this hose that went in the wrong direction, or there was a bolt that was rusted that I couldn't get off, and what do you do in that circumstances? And I go, I don't know, because that's not what the manual covered. It never does, by the way. Stupid manuals. So the idea is that I can speak truth, but if I'm not speaking truth from a place of conviction or experience, it's empty to you, isn't it? You actually don't really want to hear me going on and on about fixing a car when you're like, this guy is a moron. He doesn't even know. So why would I keep listening to him? And so David is saying that the person that can actually enter into the presence of God and stay there and belong there is somebody who who the truth rolls out of their mouth, but it's from a place of experience and conviction. And that changes everything. We're so used to the opposite, which even Psalm 12 uh, deals with. It says that they speak falsehood to one another with flattering lips and with a double heart they speak. We're so used to flattery, aren't we? And it's time for that to go by the wayside. And all of this comes out of the very first phrase in verse 2 where he says, He who walks with integrity. And when the Bible is talking about walks, it's not talking like, I don't know, like the Bee Gees or something. Wasn't that there? You can tell by the way I use my walk. Come on. You with me? All right. Anyway, it's not talking about that kind of thing. This is why I should stick to my notes. That was nowhere on the plan to talk about the Bee Gees. And second service is always like, phew, I survived the first one, so I relax on you guys, and now you're going to be going, hurry up. Somebody who walks with integrity, the, the word for walk is, is like conveying a lifestyle. Somebody who moves in this manner, somebody who finds themselves in this flow all the time. That's what walking uh, is as far as the scripture is concerned. And so somebody who walks with integrity is, is not, integrity is not the person that you want to be. We all have somebody that we want to be. We all have this goal in our mind or this envy in our mind. I wish I could be that person or act like this or, or whatever. That's that's more that you're a planner or a wishful thinker or something along those lines. But that doesn't mean you have integrity just because you, you want to be that person, even if you're picking the right example. Integrity isn't the person that you want others to think that you are. Go back to our Bible salesman. You know, the Bible salesman wants people to think that he really believes the book that he's selling, but he doesn't need to in order to close the deal. So that's not integrity. And integrity isn't the person that you used to be. So many of us have had good track records up to a time. It's like King David, you know, just spotless perfection, it seems, you know, and this heroic thing, and as it comes up and then some incident happens and we say, well, it's all worthless now, no sense in trying to be the person I used to be integrity is current walking is a lifestyle that's happening now and that's what the scripture is getting at here you know we're so used to situational ethics we see people that manipulate the the situation of the moment do the thing that helps them win helps them uh gain uh whatever it is that they want whatever their hearts desire and if they can make the, the ends connect, if they, if it can all work out in the end, then it was worth whatever activity it required to get to that point. Those are situational ethics or moral rules that that, uh, that are not absolutely binding. Because they can be changed, they can be flipped, they can be modified. In the light of different situations. So David says that isn't the person who's able to sit at the feet of God and stay in contentment and to be in his presence and dwell there. Instead, he says somebody who walks with integrity. So what does a a person of integrity look like? Well, there's a few things that he doesn't look like, and there's a few things he does look like. In verse 3, he says he doesn't slander with his tongue, nor does evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. He despises the reprobate. And he honors those who fear the Lord. He swears to his own hurt and doesn't change. He does not put out his money at interest, nor does he take a bribe against the innocent. He He who does these things, like we said, will never be shaken. You think about that manipulator. You think of that person who's intending to deceive, but then you also think about the average user, if you will, of of this stool, the person who says, no, it's good, and I kind of believe it's it's good, and, and if you're saying you need something, I'd, I'd definitely uh, point you in this direction, but I'm having a hard time living in this comfort and living in this trust every single day. That is typically where we find ourselves, and that person is tempted to manipulate the circumstances for their benefit at all costs that whole list was saying you know somebody somebody who doesn't slander why would we speak evil about somebody else in order to lift ourselves up because we're an opportunist because we want to look better than the other person and that's where that slander comes in somebody who doesn't speak or, or practice evil against their neighbor you think about the person who says i'm going to take this from their I'm not, I'm applying the word neighbor real, real literally here, but I'm going to take this thing off their lawn and they're not even going to notice it's missing because I need it for my lawn instead. And so we take advantage of our neighbor situations and think nobody's watching. Who does that? It's a person who's an opportunist, who's trying to take advantage of a situation. And David's saying that person can't sit in the presence of God and really rest there. It's not going to work that way. I'll share with you an example from my own life of where my, um, integrity uh, took a hit it's hopefully humorous um, but it's true nonetheless I have heavier examples don't get me wrong it's not like this is the worst thing I could come up with I mean you are public I'm not going to share with you everything but uh but uh, you know when I first came here, I was trying to learn to play golf a little bit more I'd only dabbled with it before and if you're going to work with Bill Cripe you don't just dabble in golf you have to commit to it as a lifestyle and so, um, started doing that. And one opportunity I had, this was before we started allowing some of the, uh, 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 carpool folks to park in the corner of the parking lot. We have this giant, huge parking lot, right? Which during the week is vastly empty and long off. And you're thinking, man, if I could get a golf ball across the parking lot, I'd feel like the man, you know? So right out here outside the glass doors, we'd look for cracks in the, in the tar. I just said we. I meant me. Nobody else was party to my lack of integrity. I'll just leave it there. And so there was this crack in the tar, and you could stick a tee and put a golf ball on it and look out at the big, wide open of the parking lot. Now, just a little golf tip for you. If, if you don't want to make a mistake, don't think about the mistake you're trying to avoid. There's some weird thing that happens. This is why golf is such a tough sport. Because if you're trying to hit over water, the worst thing you could do is say, I've got to get it over that water. And yet somehow people expect you to block out the fact that there's a giant pond and there's ducks going whack, 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 you know, and you're supposed to ignore it and hit the ball over the water. But there is a weird thing that once you allow it to enter your mind, the thing that you're trying to not do, it's going to happen. So I'm pointing out in that corner and I'm practicing. I got it teed up nice and high and everything. And I'm thinking, those cars on the bank are off to the side over there. There's nothing to worry about there. Then I got to thinking, just don't hit those cars in the bank. And I'm like, come on, that'd be stupid. They're right over there. Like, I'd literally have to take the ball off the tee and throw it over there to get it. But you know what's going to happen. Sure enough, take a full swing. Those of you golfers, I probably had my stance wide open. My grip was weak. All that kind of stuff. And I just sent that ball like I had just picked it up and thrown it right at a car over there. And it went bounce, bounce, bounce. And I saw this old, like, Honda Accord pulling in right at the same time. Bong, bong, doink, hit the car. Okay, that's mistake, right? People do those kinds of things. It's a stupid mistake. I'm not saying I was innocent. It was a dumb thing to do. I'm standing out here in the public and there's cars around. Anything could have gone wrong. But the, prob- the part that took a hit on my integrity was the very first reaction I had as that ball went over there and I'm watching this. I'm like, you got to be kidding. It's going over there. My car is parked over here, which I missed, fortunately, because I didn't want to hit my own car. I go moving over to hide behind my car and do this. <laughs> now, fortunately, and I'm sharing this because it, it, it's not as bad as it could be, so I'm, I'm willing to, you know, somewhat be transparent before you. I took two steps and went like this, and I was just like, sorry, that was me and everything, you know, Fortunately. <laughs> But the guy gets out of his car, and I mean, let's be honest. I mean, this car had bondo on it; it wasn't a gem. He could have lightened up, but just kidding. It wasn't. It was. It was just not good. Ball goes boom, boom, boom. He gets out and he goes, "Hey, if you're gonna start slicing balls in the parking lot, at least do it down on the other end, would you?" You know, he was not having it. It wasn't funny to him at all. And I'm sitting there just thinking, what is in me that the first thing I would have done was try to hide and be like, "Wasn't me." How how do we get? And I'm in my 30s at the time this happens. It's not like I'm, you know, I'd expect that from my, my eight year old or something like that. And I'm like, I'm going to hide like maybe maybe he won't see. Doink, you know, another new dent in the side of the car. This is the whole point is that. In order to be one who dwells in the presence of God, integrity is the kind of thing that bleeds out of us, that flows out of us, and that those instances are fewer and far between. They're shorter lived. They're the kinds of things that that should convict us in the core and say, Lord, if it wasn't for your grace, this is who I'd be all the time. I'd be an opportunist. I'd be taking advantage. We all know that the kingdom of God has the guy or the girl out there that says, oh, no, you should really buy one of these. They're great. You can trust in it, but they never sit in it themselves. Themselves because there's some advantage to be gained, but I don't think that's where most of us live. I don't think most of us are struggling with trying to hawk something we don't believe in. We're struggling to practice what we say we believe in. Is that not true? And so, when we come to the uh, to the practice of the Christian life, when we come to uh, living out what we say we believe, we have to be willing to uh, to be seen, putting our trust in our faith in the in the thing that we claim is able to change everyone else's life. And that is, of course, the power of Jesus Christ. So as people show up at your house randomly or unannounced or they catch you in the grocery store or you're in your car or whatever the case may be, um, do they see you sitting in full confidence and trust and rest in this stool? Or are you kind of talking about? Oh no! If someone put me on the spot, I'd say it's all great. I I can sing a lot of great songs about this stool. I know the merits of it. I can talk about how the legs go into the uh, into the, the the stool top there and everything. How they're glued in. I can talk about the integrity of the stool itself. I I know all the the pieces of the manual. I can quote those things and stuff. But I'm just never quite willing to just sit in it and rest in it. And that's where the Church of Jesus Christ in modern America, I think, is taking its biggest hit, is that we all know what everyone else should be doing, but it's hard for us to place ourselves in this. As we wrap up, I just want to share one one phrase that came out of, um, it's a Latin phrase, and it was really applicable in the time of the, the, um, the writing that Paul did in the book of Philippians, because... Uh, it was very common as the Roman uh, artists were sculpting their great works in the day that Paul was writing this letter. It was quite common for them to um, they made mistakes back then, believe it or not. You know, we think that all those arts are, you know, artworks are pure and everything, but they made their mistakes. And um, like anybody else, they were thinking, OK, I've invested all this time, all this energy in my sculpture and i've just almost ruined this thing do i just start from scratch or do is there a way to salvage what i've already started and it's and it just needs some help and so they started developing this technique where they would take a certain wax or a putty and they would fill in those um those mistakes or those blemishes and it would still look great to the eye people as they were looking at these art these works of art and everything they would still be impressed with the with the artistry But the problem is, as the sun would come out and these places are out in the marketplace or out in the public squares, that that wax would start to melt off and all the blemishes would be exposed once the light hit the sculpture. And so a, uh, a Latin phrase uh, came about, and, and actually we see the translation of this from Philippians 1.10 that says, so in other words, why would we be this person? Well, Philippians 1.10 answers, it says, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be, and here's the Latin phrase, sincera or without wax and blameless until the day of Christ. So that we would be the type of people that as our sculpture, whatever God's making us to be, when the sunlight hits it, when the heat uh, intensifies around it, that people wouldn't look and say, you were trying to cover that up. Keep in mind, I'm not saying that the sculpture is going to look perfect. It's the way that we go about and cover up the blemishes and the mistakes. Now, we live in Maine. Sometimes the fault is, hey, my mistakes, I wear them on my sleeve, and you're just going to have to deal with it. And that's how we are sometimes. But we're not talking about that either. We're talking about, Lord, make me into the beautiful uh, work of art that you'd want me to be. Help me to be willing to be on display as I as I talk about the merits of, of your integrity and in your trust, that they can trust that this is going to hold them up for all areas of life. And, Lord, when, when the heat comes, when the light comes to, to your work in my life, I pray that they would see who I truly am in you and not the things that I've tried to cover up and play church or play Jesus or something like that. In other words, Lord, help me to be the person that my dog thinks I am. I don't know, if you don't have that experience in your life where a dog just kind of looks at you and says, I don't care what you say or do to me, I still think you're the best. You've got to at least try that one phase of your life because it's really humbling. I mean, I've got a black lab that just looks at me like you are the man. I worship the ground you are walking on, and for more than a decade I've just been okay to him. I like him. He's cute sometimes, but he doesn't have the relationship with me that so many dog lovers have. And he doesn't get a Frisbee tossed to him all the time and all this sort of stuff. And yet he treats me like I am the best owner that's ever existed. It doesn't matter. He never tires of me coming home. You know, he just never minds getting out of my way, no matter how I speak to him to get out of my way. He's like, sure, whatever you want, man. Just happy to please. But we know who we really are. The goal isn't to just be okay with who we are. The goal is to, Lord, keep sculpting me, but help me to be honest and trustworthy so that I can be a person of integrity, that I'm not tempted to cover up my flaws with wax, but instead I'm going to live in honesty before you and before others. Let's stand, if you would, please. We've got to wrap our time up here, and I'm going to turn things over to Jeff. Ask the men to stick behind uh let's let's pray. God, help us to be uh people who will who will rest in your word and who will trust that you will do what you say you do you'll do in our lives that we can come from a place of conviction as opposed to just saying what we know to be right. Lord God, we have all these things swimming around in our minds and, and no doubt, Lord, each and every one of us thought of something today that uh you've been trying to get a hold of in us for a while and we've held it back. We've We've held on to it. We've tried to put wax over it. And we're freaking out that one day the sun's going to expose it. And so, Lord, I know that feeling and I know so many in this room do. And so, Lord, we need your saving grace more than ever. We need the the finished work of your uh, crucifixion, your resurrection, to cover all of our mistakes, Lord. But help us to be people not tempted to do it ourselves, but instead to walk in integrity. God, we know that the ultimate goal in our life, whether we slow down to admit it or not, is just to be able to sit in your presence and know that we are loved by you. So God, help us to crave that. Help us to focus on that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, please stick around.